it felt a bit like you're stuck in the woods and you finally managed to get a tiny little flame going after you've been trying to ignite it for ages and suddenly you've got this tiny little flame and you just want to stay there and tend to that because you don't know if it's going to go out and if it does you don't know when you're going to get that flame again I guess that's how I always kind of feel about my own creativity hello my name is Barney and welcome to moments of clarity Today I am speaking to Saskia Chows. Sass is a tattoo artist, an amazing one at that, but she's not only a tattoo artist, she's a creative in every sense of the word. In today's conversation, I speak to Sass about her upbringing, her creative journey, being a woman and feminism, finding your identity, not being too harsh on yourself, and much more. It wouldn't be 2020 without some commentary around the coronavirus, and we touch on how we are personally dealing with the fallout of the pandemic. Sass works at Sacred Monkey Tattoo in Kew, Victoria, and you can find her work on Instagram at Saskia Tattoo. So without further delay, I bring you Saskia Chows. Hello, Sass. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Yeah, very well. Welcome to the house of quarantine. <laughs> it's not quite quarantine, but I've glen 20 the whole place and we're, we are following the social distancing precautions. How far would you say we are? About... Two metres? About two metres, yeah, <laughs> opposite ends of the table yep, here. Yeah, so <laughs> we're making sure we're following the the safety guidelines. But um, how do you feel about it all? It's weird, isn't it? Um, I guess because I've been off work for the last week now and I've been by myself and I fluctuate from feeling kind of overwhelmed by it really, I guess, and then... I'll potter around and just be in my own little bubble and then I completely forget because I just catch myself having a nice time and then I'm like, oh yeah, fuck, there's a global pandemic and it's really <laughs> surreal to even think about it. And I guess I check in with the internet like a couple of times a day just to see where the numbers are at and see what's going on with it all. Yeah, I think just a real roller coaster is with everyone really. Yeah. Yeah. I find myself looking at all the stats and, and yeah. watching it grow and I don't know, it feels so weird that we're doing that with people's lives, but the yeah. whole country, so whole world's doing it right now and we're all watching it from afar and obviously we're not affected directly. Per, well, in terms of life and, and mm. number count, we are affected in, in ways of living and mm. everyone is, but in terms of that number count, yeah, it's such a strange feeling that the world is tipping upside down yeah. so quickly mm -hmm. and... Yeah, it's strange. How do you feel about it all? I guess I think everyone is going to be super affected by it in some way or another, if not through financial circumstances and jobs, etc., like their family and travel and everything. Like there's so many aspects of people's lives that are going to be affected by it. Um, if, yeah, if you don't have vulnerable loved ones, then it's likely you could potentially lose your job or your holiday to Europe this year isn't going to happen and all of those sorts of things. And there's just a big domino effect, I guess, with all of the little things that's going to happen. I think it's just undeniable that it's going to greatly affect everyone in so many ways. And I guess that's why even the government is trying to do the best they can because there's just so many different scenarios to try and account for and to try and think of a solution as how to alleviate some of the strain that it's going to put on so many different things. Yeah, like I said, I kind of go through waves of feeling fine about it and then feeling panicked and then feeling sad and, and it just changes all the time. Like um, it was my birthday about a week or two ago and it was and it was on the 11th of March and it was right on the cusp of when shit started getting serious. Mm. 
And the day before, I felt like I looked at my phone and I like every message from every, like all of my friends and family who are all over the world, every single person was messaging me about something to do with coronavirus. And back then it was still very much a joke to me. And I was kind of like, this is fucked. And, you know, I remember joking that my one birthday wish was to just not hear the C word all day long. Yeah. Um, and pretty much the day after, like everything changed. And I felt kind of guilty for a period of time that I had been laughing about it. But I think all of that just stems from a distrust for media and the way that they do often dramatize things for the sake of click value and to yep. sell papers and that kind of thing, where there, it is a lot of scaremongering um, and you don't really know how serious things really are. And so I think for a while I thought that it was just one of those. I think everyone felt the same, really. And I think even now a lot of people still do have that opinion. But yeah, it's so rapidly changing, really. And just hopefully we as a planet can try and get this under control i guess so do you have hope in in what will come of this do you worry about the world turning into some post-apocalyptic nightmare or do you think that it will all get better and become a we reflect on our system and and what's going on to maybe not be prepared for something like this how do you feel about the, Um, the future well, I'd imagine we would be a lot better prepared for this kind of thing. I think Bill Gates did a TED talk in 2015 talking about a global pandemic and how it would cost three trillion US dollars to fix if there was one. Because um, since Ebola, he was quite paranoid about that and trying to get the word out there and no one was really listening to him. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I guess it's the same as anything. Hey, like after the tsunami, then you go to all the countries where it was severely damaged by that and you see all these kind of tsunami places where people can go and hide and all of the Mm. lines where people can reach each other and all of the precautions that they take to try and fix that ever happening again. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, in terms of obviously like pollution and stuff like that, I think, I don't know. I feel kind of both sides of it. In some ways, I do think that there's a lot of positives that come out of it. The way that people are having the opportunity to reconnect to themselves. A lot of people I know are having the time to go and be creative in ways that they don't usually feel they have the time to do. Um, having phone calls and things with their loved ones and checking in with people, that kind of thing is a really beautiful side of it. That's, yeah, there's a lot of positives. I mean, yeah, the financial aspect's a bit fucked. Like a lot of, like a lot of people are, have already lost their jobs. And in terms of that, I've got no idea where that's going to go. And yeah, I guess again, everyone's kind of affected by that in varying degrees. And even if they're not now, I'm sure they will be down the line and, yeah, it's just super multifaceted, really. You mentioned the idea of being creative and allowing, well, people allowing themselves the time to sort of be creative, follow a hobby or a passion, an idea. What was missing in our society prior to being forced to do this that maybe, do you think something was missing from society that made us not be able to just bunker down and do something we loved and get creative or get our hands dirty with something that we really enjoy. Why we were so go, go, go and people are starting to freak out about this idea of staying put for a while. Do you think this pandemic makes people reflect on other aspects of their life? And you mentioned yourself prior to us recording, getting creative yourself. Were you able to do that before this? And and what stopped you, do you think? I guess simply with work really most people are so bogged down with their workload that it's quite hard to find the time to invest in other avenues and people don't find it to be important like people are constantly like a lot of my clients and stuff are constantly saying to me 
oh, I used to paint and draw when I was younger, but I don't find the time anymore. And I always think that's so sad. And obviously I'm biased because I'm an artist, so I value it really highly. And I suppose for maybe other people, they don't so much. And it's something they feel they can afford to let slip away. Um, but I feel like having a creative outlet is super important. And I feel incredibly grateful that I have that. So I think it's really nice that it's allowing people to have the time to reconnect with those sorts of things. I guess there's, everyone has a to-do list all the time and sitting around making things out of clay is probably on, especially if you're a parent or, or anything really though. Like, I mean, everyone has busy lives. And I think a lot of people but feeling a part of the rat race are so busy working that outside of work, they either need to just spend their time doing life admin to keep up to date or... Or they just want to chill the fuck out, really, and just unwind and recover and recharge in time to then go and do it all again on Monday. So I think it's nice that people actually have this extra time where they're able to cook things and sew and do whatever people are doing. But yeah, I've had so many people message me saying that they're finally having the time to paint again and do creative things. And that's really beautiful. And it's nice that I think a lot of people are checking in with their loved ones more. Yeah, I'm finding that too, mm. that so much more messaging with family and FaceTime and Skype and all these different apps that allow you to have multiple conversations at the same time. I think it's amazing in that way that we we're able to connect. We're forced to not take things for granted and each other for granted in a way. The other part that's really interesting, and this is where I get very guilty, is that I'm almost excited for what could come of this. I'm, I'm shattered about the countless lives lost or jobs lost and incomes lost and anxiety and, and all the fallout that will come from that. Travel restrictions, people's, you know, plans. They might have taken a year's worth of leave and ready to go overseas for this magical trip and, and they can't do it. All sorts of things are going wrong. But the other, the flip side of that is that I've been thinking for so long that we are so obsessed with the economy, so obsessed with our jobs, our day-to-day almost the meaningless stuff that just fills up our day, that live admin, that now maybe people will start reflecting and realising there's more to life than just the nine-to-five job or the, yeah, the rat race and, and then, you know, either getting, getting fucked up on the weekend or even just doing nothing because you're so tired and maybe we can start using our time wisely to, to get in touch with ourselves and our loved ones and not take this life for granted as much and that's the hope and the the positivity I get on a personal level and then I have hope that maybe the fact that we could do so much so quickly in many cases for, for this pandemic that maybe we can do the same for you know climate change or to stop war or stop famine you know it, it just seems like there, there could be an opportunity here to realize that hey if we align all our moral values together and make that our priority maybe we can change parts of the world that need to be changed Mm, I hope so (laughs) I hope it goes in that direction I hope it does make a lot of people wake up I think at the moment a lot of people have just kind of gone into survival mode and maybe Mm. aren't really thinking beyond that I mean I again yeah I guess I personally feel that the mass consumerism of it all has been such a weird wake-up call as well, like going in supermarkets and them all being empty and Mm. all of that kind of thing. And 
yeah, I think it's crazy though. Like it is so mental that we do live in a world where we literally have everything at our fingertips 24 seven. You can get that particular brand of hot sauce or, you know, any that particular type of canned something or other, like anything you need, you literally have at your fingertips all the time. And it's so strange for people to not have these luxury items that we're so used to having so, so accessible. Yeah. That side of it has been kind of weird. And I, I almost hope that that thins down as well. Like, I think it would be really nice if, like, I mean, I know that a lot of, I think Bunnings have sold out of seedlings and all of that kind of thing. And I know so many people are trying to start growing things. It would be nice if people did start trying to mend things again and cook their own things again and make things rather than just having this, like, complete throwaway society where it's just obsessed with mass consumerism, where people are just buying loads of stuff all the time. And I guess that's one thing as well. Like people don't have the luxury to just go and buy loads of stuff. So hopefully that side of it will go away as well. Like this insatiable appetite for just things Mm. to fill some kind of void that I think modern society has created for a lot of people. I guess with the boredom that comes through like the internet and how a lot of people constantly say that their attention span is damaged nowadays and they can't because you're just used to looking at your phone and that kind of swiping way of being. I think... Because a lot of that kind of stuff is going to be taken away now because people don't have the luxury of just going and doing whatever they want all the time. Hopefully it will strip it back a little bit where people can start taking pleasures in small things like just reading a book for the afternoon or that kind of thing. Just going for a walk by themselves in a park if your country is still allowing you to do that. Yeah, I hope I hope that kind of stuff changes. I think, I don't know, I hope so. In that, you, you mentioned that insatiable appetite and it's almost like sugar and that an addiction to sugar, for example, where you, you don't have sugar for two or three weeks and you start realising that you don't need it. Mm. But before that, it was dessert must is a must yeah, every yeah, night. Yeah, totally. And it's like that with shopping. People are freaking out that they can't just go out and get shoes or can't yeah, buy that luxury product. But not even luxury, it's just basic stuff that you just go out to the shop and never thought about. And now it's just like we've got to stock up on beans. And it's not like a virus that is destroying crops. We're still 85% of products are Australian, at least food and agricultural products in Australia. And all of those will continue. So I think the freak out isn't that people are going to starve, but it's more that I won't be able to shop. I won't be able to Mm. just be on autopilot and just go down and get out and maybe waste an hour. I I feel like so many people and I occasionally fall into this trap and, and have been really working on not falling into this trap recently of being on autopilot and just either scrolling on your phone or watching reality tv or the news or anything just in a deadpan way just passively grabbing information you know try to really make sure that whatever i do with my time is more and more valued by me and that could be and that means actually doing less sometimes it means sitting and reading or just going for a walk in the park or looking at someone in the eye for a conversation rather than just texting 20 people at once that idea of quality over quantity and i think that this could lead to that reflection, almost a detox from all that that stuff that you think you need and then maybe families are going to sit around the table playing board games or, I don't know, just sitting in their rooms with the sun streaming in the window. Yeah, I just feel there's opportunity in this and there's so much negativity being spouted 
in almost a selfish way, not the negativity of the loss of life, which is obviously valid, but the negativity of what am I going to do? How am I going to change my life to accommodate this new structure? But we have the power and the choice to do that. And I think it's so important to use this opportunity to make sure that we are, yeah, we give it a break that we've all been wanting. We said, oh, you know, what would I, what I would do for an extra couple of weeks holiday or for a longer weekend. And now we've got this opportunity, not in the way that we wanted and not in a way that the world possibly, yeah, and not in a really positive way for everyone in the world, but in a sense, we've got this now. Let's make the most of it, not waste it. So what have you been doing in this time? I've been painting pretty much the entire time (laughs) um and making things out of clay and yeah just doing loads of different creative projects really I think because I have a job that's creative where I have to make things and draw and create all the time on demand I know for me my mate like something that I have learned through my own creative process is, is to try and how I refer to it as maintaining like creative fingers in different pies I think I feel kind of burnt out if I just stick to tattooing. So outside of work as much as possible, I do try and dip between different things like sewing and painting and drawing and sculpting and cooking and just doing as many different creative things all the time just to keep that flame going. So it's been really nice to have time to really get stuck into different projects as opposed to just, like I said before, I think normally if I've got only one or two days off a week, one of those days will be spent doing all of my design work for clients and then maybe doing life admin like cleaning the house and doing those sorts of things and then if I do ever have any time left over then I will have time to do my own artwork outside of tattooing and that's when I'll kind of dip between different projects so yeah this has been taking me right back to my youth really when I was 17 and I was studying art and I would have the time and capacity to be able to and the space to be able to just paint all day long every day in a studio doing massive portraits on canvases and so I've been doing a lot of that again which has been fucking lush awesome yeah I (laughs) want to talk about your tattooing and your job and your career and that but I'd love to start with where creativity started for you what age what inspired you to get creative and to realize that you're, you're pretty good at this It just always came completely naturally. I've never actually thought about it before, where the starting point was. Since I can remember, I've always been super creative since I can remember. I mean, actually, I've got like a quite early memory, quite early, that's really bad English, quite young. (laughs) (laughs) Um, An early memory of mine is we had a cat that died when I was maybe about six. And I remember shutting myself away in my room and my mum coming upstairs And she was relieved to find me painting because she was like, oh, well, at least I know you're okay then if you're painting. And like, even at the age of six, she knew I was okay if I was doing art. And that was my way of coping with the loss of our cat. Mm. Like even at that age, painting and art was a completely cathartic thing for me. And that was my way of processing things. And that was my way of dealing with things. And I think, yeah, I've always been really grateful to have that tool as a coping mechanism as well throughout life as well as yeah like a means of expression and so many different things but yeah I don't know I've always I can't I couldn't really pinpoint I've just literally always loved art of all varieties does art run in your family do your parents do art or yeah all of my family are quite creative actually my brother's a really talented musician and can literally pick up any type of instrument and play it and he's an amazing singer and songwriter as well my dad 
has well they're both my parents are retired now but my parents used to run a business when I was a kid and they would buy and sell homeware and furniture and antiques and sort of interior design kind of stuff so my dad would buy lots of old antique furniture and restore and renovate that and my mum would go and buy more like homeware and home furnishings and she would do they'd both do furniture painting and so yeah they're both quite creative in that sense too and since retiring my mum's now taken up a little side project where she's been sewing bits of old saris and sequins and making festival clothes oh wow um so yeah we're all pretty creative my grandma used to be a wedding dress and tailor maker and ice skating dressmaker and all of that kind of stuff and would always make me these incredible fairy dresses when I was a kid so yeah got lots of creative things in our family so they really fostered creativity then for you and and was it the idea of just let Let's us get messy in the house and, and just totally. get creative, yeah? Yeah, 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 totally. I was, yeah, I'm really lucky. My parents were kind of, they're not hippie really, but they were kind of, I guess I had definitely had an alternative upbringing. Their outlook was really alternative. And they very much just, like, we were really brought up to be true to who we are and be who we are and follow our heart and all of that kind of thing and don't go with the grain and be yeah just be who you are I guess and I think that my parents knew that I was super creative and they really encouraged that in me and they really pushed that in me in a non not in a pushy kind of way but they you know they like they really encouraged that in me I guess um and yeah so always on my rainy days I remember watching like Art Attack and all of that kind of thing and building little sculptures out of old toilet paper rolls and whatever like anything really any kind of project art project I could do I'd be doing it on all of my in all of my time, yeah, since I can remember, I've always been like that. Were your parents, you said that they were sort of alternative, were their parents, do you, did you get to meet your, do you know your grandparents at all um, or did you? Or? I've never met my grandparents on my dad's side. My dad's Zambian, um, which is southern Africa, for yeah. anyone that doesn't know. Um, and he's 71, so growing up in Zambia 70 years ago, his dad died shortly after he moved to the UK when he was 18 my dad saved up to go traveling when he was 18 and went to England and ended up staying forever until the last five years where my parents have since moved to Bulgaria, but that's another thing. Oh, we'll um, get to that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, he moved to England when he was 18. And back then, I think he basically just like went down the road and got on the payroll and was kind of, I don't think he had like a proper visa or anything to stay, but back then I don't think it really mattered because mm. yeah, that would have been like 50 years ago. So, yeah, his upbringing was pretty amazing, really. I love hearing stories about my dad's upbringing. But I never met... Yeah, his dad died then and his mum died when I was about seven. And I never met her either. She was Polish. Yeah, again, she's got a pretty interesting backstory of my family. And then on your mum's side then, were they creative? Yeah, I knew my grand... My granddad, not so much, really. He was always a little bit distant, But my mum's mum was always a big part of our lives. She lived near us for most of my childhood. And, yeah, she was always super creative. And, like I said, she's always got her sewing machine out, making loads of amazing things. And, yeah, yeah, like I said before, I was always really lucky as a little girl having all these incredible fairy princess dresses that my grandma would make for me and my dolls and stuff, all of us matching. Yeah, so, yeah, my grandma was a big part of my life. See, that's the nice thing about coronavirus is, like, getting in touch with your, like calling my grandma and stuff like that which you never really think to do a lot of the time it's been nice to try and make time to reconnect with family members that maybe aren't necessarily super high on my radar on a day-to-day basis almost their vulnerability in a way makes it come out as well doesn't it or is it time is it the fact that you're thinking about them more because they are the, the vulnerable ones or is it just simply time 
Gosh, uh, for me personally, I think it's just because I live on the other side of the world to a lot of my loved ones. So I feel like I've got this like list of about 10 people that I need to go through and contact. And it gets quite draining having to have long phone conversations. Yep. So I've sort of got like 10 people on rotation and it's like spinning plates just when I feel <laughs> like I've spoken to everyone. Then it's been two weeks since I've called my mum. So I need to kind of go back to the top of the list again. So I think yep. it's more just that really. I just don't feel like I have time all the energy to give out to have like constant phone call conversations yeah. with family members and people back home. Um, Where is back home? Where did you grow up? I grew up just outside Bath in the UK. And then I moved out of home as soon as I turned 18 and moved to Brighton on my own, which is about three and a half hours away, which is, yeah, just directly south of London. If anyone doesn't know, Brighton's amazing. It's the gay capital of Europe and it's very, it's kind of like Wellington. It's all just rainbows and drag bars. It's beautiful. I love Brighton. Yeah, I've heard amazing things about Brighton that it is quite an alternative sort of town and a lot of young mm. people, very vibrant and yeah, different from a lot of the UK. Kind of, yeah. It's known for being colourful and alternative. I sort of moved there fairly impulsively. Like I said, when I just turned 18, I think I wanted to move away from where I'd grown up and just wanted to go and do something different. And... I felt like I'd met a lot of people just in the festival scene and stuff that all spoke really highly of Brighton. So I just decided I was going to move there. So yeah, I kind of moved there relatively impulsively when I was 18. I went and got myself a house and just moved to Brighton on my own. So the festival scene prior to that, were you sort of going to different festivals? I went to a few festivals as a kid with my family um, when I was younger and I think I'd always been a part of that. And it's a big, it's quite a big culture in England. Um, I'd say more so than here because you guys have doofs, whereas that's not really a thing in the UK. We have more, like what Rainbow Serpent is, we've got more loads of that kind of thing yep. where it's more, there's loads of art and there's quite a broad variety of music, even if it's one genre specifically, there's often a lot more to it than that too. So there's, it's quite family orientated yep. or you can party if you want to. So yeah, I've, I used to go to a lot and there's often one every single like there's loads going on all the time over summer in England so I used to like often when I was a teenager that we'd all just live for summer and we'd go to one every single weekend um and that was kind of one of the things that got me into tattooing in a way was I started doing body painting for um club nights and events and festivals and doing face painting and all of that kind of thing so yeah I really loved doing that it was good fun just getting dressed up and I'd always make loads of amazing costumes for festivals and I think I just loved again just the creative side of it where you could just wear these epic costumes and paint patterns all over my whole body and other all, all of my friends and all of that kind of thing so that was sort of one of the gateway things into tattooing for me. Was body painting is it completely separate to tattooing did you have tattooing in your mind as you know when I can get into that that's what I'll do or was it just another, I guess, canvas for art? Yeah, no, not at all, actually. Like, growing up, I'd never been exposed to tattoos. The little town that I grew up in is, like, quite, I don't know. Yeah, I'd never, I'd never ever been, none of my parents, like, no one in my family, none of my parents' friends or anyone, none of them have tattoos. And I'd never really been around it at all when I was younger. And Yeah, I guess, like, growing up around Bristol and when I was younger going and getting piercings and stuff and the two things would often be lumped in the same shop going into a piercing and tattoo shop and it was just full of like quite intense big biker dudes doing little like tribal things and it was just super not my jam at all so like some when I did kind of start moving into doing body painting and even prior to that doing fine art and people would say to me sometimes like oh you should be a tattooer I was always like 
<laughs> I would, yeah, I'd almost kind of be like, I'm an artist. I'm not going to do that. Like mm. it just, it didn't even occur to me that the two things would go hand in hand. And I didn't at all associate it as art. Like, and I remember seeing tattoos when I was younger and thinking like, oh yeah, that's nice for a tattoo. Like I just didn't have a good perception of them particularly because I'd never seen good tattoos before growing up until I moved to Brighton when Brighton does have a really good tattoo scene. Yeah, it wasn't until I moved to Brighton and I met a good friend of mine when we were working in a cafe together and he's pretty heavily tattooed and he was mostly covered in kind of Sailor Jerry traditional kind of stuff and that was the main thing that I'd seen, which is beautiful and I love it, but it's not my thing. And yeah, one day he showed me a guy who did large-scale pattern work um, and geometric things and more Asian-influenced art and ornamental patterns and it just completely blew my mind and I went from having literally no interest in tattooing whatsoever to like went from zero to 100 in the space of a moment really and I remember going home that night and just looking up tattooers and just going into this crazy internet hole of just looking at all of these tattooers and it completely opened up this whole world to me and I was like fuck that's what I want to do and yeah I was pretty lucky I, I messaged a really amazing tattooer and I was just like how do people even get into it and he was actually really helpful because he'd kind of looked through the portfolio that I had online of loads of the body painting things that I was doing at the time um and he yeah he was really helpful and gave me some advice and I ended up walking past a tattoo shop that I'd seen around in Brighton and always thought looked really beautiful and just impulsively went in there one day and I was like how do people even become tattooers like I don't I don't know anything about it I didn't even have any tattoos I had like one little hand poke one in my ear yeah and the guy was just like oh if you come back in an hour you can talk to the owner and so I did and her and I really hit it off and she asked me to come back and show she yeah she said to me you know that she gets loads of people applying for apprenticeships all the time and every once in a while you meet someone who's who stands out from everyone else and half of that's their personality and half of that's her work, your, their work. And she was like, so are you going to come back and show me your work then? And I remember just being like, fuck, I ticked the personality box. And I was like yeah. super hyped. And I remember just going <laughs> home and I was like so excited. And I had a pretty big body of work as well because I'd been studying art for three or four years full time. So I had a huge portfolio. But yeah, she pointed out the fact that it just didn't really have any relevance to tattooing, particularly like even the body painting and stuff. Like it wasn't particularly translatable to tattooing as an art medium. Um, so to go back and focus on my drawings and come up with some clean line drawings and things that would be able to be tattoo designs, because although it was like this large scale pattern work and the way that it flowed and moved with the body that was what drew me to tattooing you've obviously got to start at the bottom and be able to kind of learn to do the smaller stuff before you can get there so yeah. I needed to try and come up with like a little portfolio of drawings and stuff and her and I stayed in touch and then eventually she offered me an apprenticeship so I was really lucky actually with that yeah and for my apprenticeship I was employed as the receptionist and then I would sort of mostly kind of teach myself in the evenings after work really but it was good because I had a job in a tattoo studio. Yeah, I was able to kind of build it up from there. So could you get straight into the art that you'd already been working on or was it back to basics completely and, and um, building up from there? Because what were you doing? What was your main sort of major in art when you were studying? Painting. Oh, all of it really, but painting mostly. No, I, yeah, painting's always just been my absolute favourite. I just fucking love painting really. Um, nothing compares to that feeling. 
Yeah, but I think towards the end of when I was studying fine art, so I left in England, our schooling system's different to Australia. So in England, I left school at 16, which is perfectly normal to do so. And I went and studied art full time. It meant that I ended up with more, like, I think it, you normally end up with like three A-levels or something, but the course that I did meant that I ended up with about four or five A-levels in various different art things. So like I had an A-level in painting and graphic design and blah, 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 and it was sort of broken into different creative things. So yep. pretty much since I was 16, I've pretty much done art all day, every day, which is quite a mad thought, really. I've just, yeah, it's quite mad to think that I've literally just been doing art all the time there's obviously been like periods of time where I've well yeah but barely though like I worked in a cafe and stuff like that for a bit when I was a teenager but I got a job in a tattoo shop when I was about 19 and I'm now 28 so I've been in yeah I've pretty much always been in, in like a creative industry when I was studying art I I think being a teenager studying art I naturally was a little bit of a like aloof pretentious wanker for a period of time <laughs> and like indulging myself quite a lot and being this like artistic tortured soul <laughs> as a teenager and but after a while it was beginning to get quite tedious and I was doing all these and I was always, I've always been quite drawn to like really dark portraiture and that was the sort of thing that I was doing a lot of and sculptures and I did lots of like casts of bo my body parts and growing mold through a statue and like that I made out of like this sculpture and lots of things like that lots of casts of faces I think I was always really drawn to anything figurative just people in general like I loved portraiture trying to capture some kind of essence of a person I've always loved doing eyes the most that's always been my, like my most enjoyable part of any kind of portrait really is trying to capture something in people's eyes but even life drawing like the body and the way that the body moves and just people I guess yeah I've just always been really fascinated by anything figurative and towards the end of the course that I was doing we had to choose from a variety of titles for our final major project and I remember and they were all quite wanky there was all like faded emotions and things like that and I remember just finding it all a bit gross towards the end so I remember choosing chromatic which was one of the few words that we had to choose from meaning intense colour and at the time I had bright red hair down to my bum and I just wanted to do something completely different to everything else that I'd been doing where I was getting sick of like the annotations and having to constantly be like I've done this to represent my inner turmoil or like <laughs> come up with some kind of reason behind your whatever so yeah it was nice to just do something like fun and weird and eye-catching and colourful for a change um so yeah like I said I had bright red hair and I just painted red patterns all over my whole body and like took these sort of weird contortion-y pictures in the woods of like my body with all of these patterns all over them and then that extended onto other people and I was doing the same thing on other people where I was painting all these like patterns and trying to use the contours of people's flesh and their bodies to mark where the patterns were going to go um, and just coming up with some quite striking imagery and I loved it and it was so nice doing something different as well that was enjoyable for anyone that saw it. Like anyone could look at that and just be like, oh yeah, that looks sick. Rather than having to have this painting that's got this deeper meaning and like hidden agenda where you're trying to reach someone and touch someone in a particular emotional kind of way. It was quite nice just doing something like just fun and that looked cool. I enjoyed the collaborative nature and it was a nice transition from always being kind of obsessed with people and the human form rather than trying to capture that instead of that trying to put my art from inside my head onto a person's body and that was what I loved about body painting and the transition between that and so 
yeah, the two things do go pretty hand in hand with body painting and then how it developed into tattooing, really, because it's the same love for that is where it all kind of stems from, I guess. What's your favourite part about tattooing now? You said that you needed to, you need to have a break, a creative break, and that comes through painting and drawing and, and sculpture work and things like that. What gives you that drive to continue constantly, I guess, improving your craft? I love tattooing. It's such an amazing job. I love the collaborative nature of it. It's so different from being more of a sort of fine artist. I don't know, I'm sort of saying like air quotations. I don't know what the definition of a fine artist would be, but from back when I was doing more painting and stuff like that all the time, it's pretty solitary. You are literally in mm. self-isolation all the time, yeah. really, just painting alone in a studio. And like I said, I think you are pushing your mind in weird ways where you do end up being a bit of a weird, solitary, fucked up artist. And it's quite <laughs> nice having a bit of a break from that and actually going and working with people. And I love that side of it. I love all of the people that I meet and all of my clients. Like I'm really lucky that I meet, like all of, I love all of my customers. They're all super nice. And it is just such a strange and personal thing. Like the way that I work in particular, cause I do generally tend to only tattoo one person a day and I have my own private room. So that breaks down a lot of social norms where you don't usually find yourself alone with a stranger for five hours at a time. And you end up just kind of jumping a few layers of social etiquette in that time because people are vulnerable and you've got this sense of like, well, we're fucking here. We might as well talk about real shit kind of yeah. thing. So you have real conversations with people and it's not transactional. And that's something that I really strive for in my work is to make it as least transactional as possible. And I, yeah, I love that side of it. You get these real insights into the people that you're working with and their lives and everything. And it's fun bouncing ideas off, like some people you work really well with and some people you don't and some people don't really want much input and some people do and trying to come up with an idea. And sometimes people have kind of shitty ideas and you've got to be like, okay, well, maybe we do something a little bit different. And you kind of try and mold that into something that's going to be possible for you guys to work together still and I yeah I love I do I love the collaborative nature of it all I love working with people so is that the people that you're working almost your clients the the collaboration with your client how does it work do, do people come up to you and give you an idea or a, a piece of art or something that they want and it goes from there or do you work in in a way that you get to they they know your style and your art and and that's what they want how does it work is it them coming in and you just doing what they say and giving them some ideas of how they could change it? Or is it, hey, Sass, I love what you do. Do whatever you want for me. Sometimes it's that. Yeah, yeah. it's really varied. Like I said, I mean, I, I'm pretty strict about not... If you came in with a specific thing and a rigid picture, for example, I wouldn't tattoo that. I always <clears throat> redraw and redesign everything, um, even if... And I don't really get very often people having actual specific images that they want to tattoo because anyone could do that. Whereas I do tend to do things in my own style. I guess that's just, I just prefer working in that way really. And I feel like I know myself well enough as an artist to know how to try and do my best work. And I don't really enjoy doing something like, yeah, I don't, I guess it's the same as a musician. If you're just constantly being requested to do covers as opposed yeah. to actually writing and doing your own music. Yeah, that's why would you bother going to someone if that's what they do? If, yeah, that's yeah. What so you've want. got your own style, your own yeah, create or creative process yeah. that you want to continue, but your own body of work, yeah, that's yours and uniquely yours. Is that right? Is there yep. your style that is yours? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think 
Yeah, I mean, most of the time people will just have like a sort of vague concept. So they might say, I would like an owl leg sleeve or something. And here is a picture of an owl that I really like. I'd maybe quite like its wings to be open or its wings to be closed. And I'd really like it to have an eye in its, on its head or, you know, something like that, a third eye. Or I, And these are some patterns that I like. It's kind of tricky with patterns because it's really difficult to articulate what you like and don't like. So it's a lot easier for people to just present imagery and just kind of be like, this is what I like and this is what I don't like. And I kind of like the round shapes, but not the pointy ones and that kind of thing. It's quite difficult for people to differentiate and know the lingo I guess or the like yeah specifying the country origin patterns like a lot of the general public generally don't know the difference between like Mendy Indian patterns and Thai ornamental or something like that but yeah so it's just people usually just come with a load of pictures kind of like a mood board of stuff they've seen yeah. that they like and then we will go through that together and pick different things and then I try and always have face-to-face -face consultations with people so I can meet them and get an idea of who they are and we can bounce these ideas off together and then they'll go away and we'll book them an appointment and then they usually don't see anything until the day of the appointment, which is when I've drawn everything up and then we take it from there, really. How long would it take? Um, it really depends on what you want, I guess. Yeah, so the, the size of it, obviously. Yeah, and the level of intricacy. Yeah. And even then, though, there's so many variations. Like, sometimes I feel like I have a really complicated design and I'll just draw it in, like, 10 minutes. I'm like, fuck. <laughs> and then other times it's things that are quite simple and you're just there, like, over and over and over again. Like, you just can't get it right. So, yeah, I mean, usually I, I have... On average, I kind of tattoo about five days a week and then at least one of my two days off a week is spent doing design work. And that's from like literally the moment I wake up to the moment I go to bed. And then just depending on what I've got on that week, I will then sometimes that's just not enough time. And especially if I do have complicated designs that could easily take up the entire day just on one tattoo. So then I might end up spending all of my evenings that week trying to draw just to play catch up as well. Oh, um, yep. So I'm trying to cut down to tattooing only four days a week so that I've got two days of drawing and then one actual day off. But it just really depends on what I've got because if I'm starting large-scale work, then that's really time-consuming with the preparation. But then towards the end of that tattoo, I'm kind of just colouring in so I don't have any more preparation to do or any more drawing outside of work. Um, so, yeah, but uh, quoting how long something's going to take is just... it's, it's uh, Yeah, it's hard to... Depends on the design, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, no, just <laughs> complete. That's just I want a free quote right now. So it's <laughs> – no. I um, really – yeah, I've never thought about it. So just to ask those questions, mm. and, yeah. Sometimes it's hard though because like I try and – I always try and relate it back to music because music is a bit more of a – everyone's got an understanding of music in the same kind of way. But I always just try and say like sometimes it's really hard because – if Monday generally is my drawing day each week, it's really hard to just be like, right, okay, I'm going to write two songs today yeah. for someone else as well. So they've got to be up to a certain standard. You're not just doing it just for yourself. Like, like even writing an album or something, like just trying to weekly do this where you're yeah. writing an album every week. And obviously sometimes you're not in the right headspace for it and you've got other shit going on in your life and... Sometimes yeah. it's, yeah, sometimes it's really hard. Almost like that writer's block, if you get that. Or you might have a wave of inspiration at 1am on a Wednesday. Yeah. And if that's your t not your time and you were so rigid, mm. yeah, Monday was wasted and, and Wednesday's wasted because you couldn't wake up and do it. But do you find yourself with a wave of inspiration and just getting up and doing something or stopping what you do or jotting down a note? How do you um. capture the creativity when you're in the middle of something else or, or do you just try to keep them separate? I am 
I'm just literally always doing artistic stuff, like even watching films and stuff like that. Like at the very least, I'll usually have my iPad out and I'll be drawing and I'll just be kind of like drawing up some like rough concepts or sketching out little things or if I have ideas for paintings, I guess I haven't, I've been always having loads of ideas for paint, but having, yeah, having ideas for painting and stuff like that. And I'll maybe kind of jot down ideas for painting or do little sketches that I'd like to build off of later that I don't usually have time for, because I guess like what we were talking about before at the beginning of the conversation regarding like the coronavirus and stuff. For me, I spend so much of my time outside of tattooing, having to do drawing for clients that my own artwork for myself or my own creativity is always fairly bottom of the food chain because I've got deadlines for everything else so Mm. I kind of I need to do all of this other drawing and then sometimes I feel creatively burnt out but quite rarely to be honest like I actually don't feel creatively like I think like I said I I don't know I went through a bit of a creative block a couple of years ago and it was fucking bleak (laughs) (laughs) and um and it was horrible and I think it was this like self-perpetuating thing where the more I felt like everything I did was really shit and the more I felt things were shit the more I would hate doing it and it was horrible and there's this big like snowball and I remember reading something that just said um nothing in nature blooms all year round and that just really I remember just feeling like that was such a nice thing it was just exactly what I needed to hear in that moment and I think since then I guess when I first started tattooing a lot of the tattooers that I looked up to were so all about tattooing and they were tattooers and that was their identity and they were tattooers through and through and they had tattoos on their faces and that was to mark their dedication to tattooing and it was all about this and I think for a long time when I first started tattooing I thought I had to be that way too if I was going to be successful or if I was going to be good at what I did or taken seriously or even taking myself seriously within this industry and I think that creative block was quite a big eye-opener for me that I'm not that and that's okay. And I'm not that tattooer in that sense. And I think, I don't know, maybe this sounds really pretentious, but I guess I'd feel like I more identify as an artist and tattooing is a medium that mm. I use. And yep. it happens to be the main one that I use on a day-to-day basis that happens to me my job right now. It might not be my job forever. I mean, it's currently not my job at all Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> with the current situation. But um, yeah, I guess, yeah. And I think for me... It was nice to take a bit of a step back and I think one thing it was good to try and just keep my creativity ticking along while I was having that creative block by just doing like making dream catch. I remember making dream catches or just like doing like weird shit like that. Just doing something, even like knitting or like just making stuff just so I was still kind of ticking along. And yeah, it felt a bit like, I don't know, like you're stuck in the woods and you finally managed to get a tiny little flame going after you've been trying to ignite it for ages and suddenly you've got this tiny little flame and you just want to stay there and tend to that because you don't know if it's going to go out and if it does you don't know when you're going to get that flame again I guess that's how I always kind of feel about my own creativity it's been a long time that my flame's been burning pretty hard um which is good yeah I feel like I've been in a pretty long stint of just fucking loving making as much stuff as possible and I've been really inspired so do you still think that 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 flame can extinguish and and disappear or have you learnt to accept that maybe well that you are an artist and it's forever or well, it was just a creative block that it felt that way because yeah. I just like I lost the I just didn't want to do it I think I don't know I guess I was just going through stuff emotionally as well yeah. um but even now you know right now do you just go it's like riding a bike I'll always know how to do it as long as I actually physically can kind of well even with painting I mean I haven't really done like a proper acrylic portrait in like nearly a decade 
And over the last 10 years, whenever I have tried to just get the paints out and give it a crack, I've always been really disappointed that I'm worse now than I was when I was like 16, but I was doing it all the time then. Mm. And I think I found that really disheartening. So I've often just like done it for a couple of hours, felt like it was shit and given up and not wanted to paint again. And even this one over the course of the last week that I've done, like it's taken me over the course of the last week to kind of almost remember how to paint again. And then the one that I started last night already looks so much better in the space of a few hours because I feel like I've kind of got it back. Like I remember what I'm doing, but I think it is like a bit of an emotional thing too, though, like feeling, yeah, I don't know. I think. Was it freedom almost that, oh, no, I do know how to do this and and you relax and just give it a go? Or was it actually legitimately just remembering all the the techniques and things like that? Yeah. What's the difference? The technical side, the emotional side, what was, do you think was lacking every time you picked up a paintbrush in those two hours? Was your heart in it? Yeah, I guess it was that. I guess it was that my heart wasn't really in it. The, the technical side of it, I mean, I didn't really, like, learn how to paint necessarily. I kind of just was naturally quite good at painting. Like, I actually started painting relatively late almost in doing art, like, at school. Like, I'd ne- it, was, it was actually when I was on my work experience. Do you, what, do you have that in Australia? Yeah, yeah, your in work your 10 experience. weeks, two, you two weeks. You work somewhere yeah. for a week or two or yep. something. I went to a theatre... And they were doing Othello and the theatre that I was at, they made all of the props and everything on site. Oh, wow. And they asked if I was artistic and they said if I could paint the strawberries on Othello's handkerchief. And I was like, yeah, fuck it, I'll give it a crack. And I'd never really done any painting. I mean, I did a bit of watercolours and stuff when I was a kid, but not really. Like painting had never really been my main medium. And yeah, I'm just like painting some strawberries and being like, oh, fuck, I can paint. And I just had no idea really. And then... After that, it was always my my thing. But, um, but no, I guess it's more what I was saying before about kind of like having a creative block. I think for me, when all I'm doing is tattoo, I think it was, it was for me, it was just that tunnel vision of just all it was about was tattooing. That was kind of when that flame went out for me a little bit. Tattooing is difficult because it is not necessarily just your own thing, like you're having to work with other people and that is also the challenging aspect of it and there's so many incredible tattooers in the world and so like social media and that kind of stuff can become daunting because you're constantly looking at the best tattooers in the world and that can easily make you feel like you're shit and what are you doing and all of that kind of thing I think like with the tending to the flame thing I guess it's more that really I think it was more tattooing and like I said the main lesson that I have learned from it is that I know for me I need to keep my self I've, yeah, I need loads of different creative projects on the go all the time. And that, for me, means that that flame is never going to go out. Mm. I think if I put all of my creative eggs in one basket, that's when that's when it's too much for me. Because I did even feel like that a bit with painting at the time for a time when I was younger. Hence, like how I said, I ended up getting into body painting. So I think I was finding it just a bit draining. I guess always feeling like I had to conform to like, this is what a painter is. And I had to be this like tortured soul or something to be able to be that way. And I think, yeah, it's nice to just not have to be anything and I can just be me and I can just do all the different creative projects I want and just keep my fire going. (laughs) Yeah. The first time you walked into that tattoo shop at the age of 19 in Brighton and you said, tattooing's for me, I want to know a little bit more about it, you walked in and there's a woman that owns the shop and a woman that 
instantly you hit it off with. Do you think that made a powerful impact in your decision to to follow that pursuit? Yeah. I mean, when I first walked into that tattoo shop, though, I I had no idea that that was even going to lead to me having an apprenticeship. Like, I hadn't even thought that far ahead yet. It was just like all of a sudden I had an interest in this subject that I knew nothing about. I could see pictures on the internet and that was the extent of any kind of knowledge or idea of it I had at all, really. Um, And then, yeah, I simply walked in just wanting to find out a little bit more. And I was lucky that it was a one-off that her partner was working on reception that day to cover for somebody. And I think if it had been anyone else, they would have probably sent me away. But he... I don't know I kind of went in there and started chatting to him and we obviously kind of liked each other and he was just like yeah come back in an hour and you can talk to the owner and I yeah I didn't I didn't think it would have ever panned out that way at all like it all I kind of jumped a few steps ahead of where I even my head was at at the time I hadn't I never thought that that was going to lead to an apprenticeship really I was pretty lucky the way that it panned out what do you think you would have done if that didn't you walked in and and nothing came of it would you have do you think you would have followed that somewhere else or would it have just said, oh, maybe painting's for me? I, I always wonder these moments, these yeah, totally. sort of pathways. What what goes on? What yeah, do you totally. think? Yeah, totally. I've never thought about that before. I probably would have pursued it because there was another shop in town that I went into as well because she was like, oh, I always said I'd never take on another apprentice and everything and she really promised herself she wasn't going to. So I didn't think... I thought that it was great that she was helping me out and giving me advice, but I didn't think that she was ever going to take me on as an apprentice. Um, so I did go and ask in another studio in town as well. So I guess I did have my... My head was already kind of in tattooing at that point. Because, mm. um, I, I mean, I was pretty, like, dedicated as well. Because I, I can't remember what I was planning on doing. I think I was probably tra- planning on travelling India, which is usually my go-to thing when I'm not sure what I'm doing with my life. <laughs> but I think I was I think I was actually planning on going travelling to India. I was going to go and work a festival season and then at the end of it go travelling around India until I figured out what I wanted to do creatively. And after I met her and she told me that I needed to get a body of tattoo-related illustrations together then I ended up just cancelling all of my life plans really and just like knuckling down and just, yeah, just doing that, just constantly producing loads of drawings and just practising and built, getting this huge portfolio of work together and I'd go back every week and show her all of my drawings and stuff and I was just like helping out managing a cafe at the time. But yeah, by the end of summer, she offered me an apprenticeship. You mentioned India there. There's a couple of questions I actually want to ask and one's relating to your travel but before that, we might get back to your travel, but being a woman going into an industry, was it dominated by men at the time and is it still? How does it feel to – have you had to prove yourself? Um, yeah. I think the shop that I apprenticed at in the UK, I had a really unusual perception of maybe, I don't know. I guess like I only knew – I. I that was all I'd ever known of tattooing was being in that shop until I moved to Australia. And now that I've worked in a few different shops in Australia, my perception is a bit different to what it was for a long time of being here. But when I first moved here, a girl came and did an interview with me and about how I felt being a female tattooer and how was it for me being a woman in the industry. And back then, so five years ago or so, maybe more, five and a half years ago, 
my perception and my answer to that was like the fact that we're even still being asked these kinds of questions is the problem like that in itself is kind of you know it's like so old-fashioned being like how do you feel being a woman having a job like I found that really patronizing that it was even a thing that needed to be mentioned but I was so incredibly fortunate that the fact that I was a woman didn't even remotely come into my whole experience of tattooing prior to being in Australia like being in that shop I hadn't had any of that like I'd had a couple of seedy clients but like you do just have that as a human in mm. life and you know like that was no different from working in a cafe where occasionally you might have a couple of seedy people in the cafe so being a tattooer had made no difference whereas yeah I think even now yeah now if I was to do that interview my answer would be so different because my experience of being a female in the industry has been so different since then the first shop that I started working in I really did feel like I had something to prove and yeah like my boss would often kind of say things about like you know pretty girls just manage to get where they are because of the way that they look and all of that kind of stuff and and would sort of downplay a lot of any of the skill any of the females had and was like yeah pretty misogynistic I don't really want to talk about that but um yeah like working in that shop was really hard like I really felt like I had to be one of the lads all the time and if I and I've always expressed myself through the way that I dress and like always love like wearing nice things and if I came to work wearing just like any like any kind of just normal outfit it would always be like oh who have you dressed up for today oh you've got your fucking tits out for the clients or like things like that just like all of these like horrible comments and so for a long time I, I found myself just wearing like a big baggy jumper and jeans to work and I've never been like that like I've always liked dressing nice and trying to present myself well and that kind of thing and I it really like stripped me back of a lot of that part of who I am because I was getting so fed up with feeling sexualized and so fed up with feeling like my my yeah like my creativity or my job or whatever was being completely downplayed because simply of the fact that I'm a woman um and it, it did make me work that little bit harder and for a long time because of that I was really strict and adamant that I wasn't going to have any pictures of myself on any social media whatsoever like it, like people would call the shop and like not they hadn't heard the name Saskia before in Australia and they would think I was a man or like they wouldn't even know anything about me at all yeah because I didn't I think just yeah like my old boss's words just really stuck in my head and I didn't want to feel like I was being that way I wanted to get recognized for my work and nothing else um so I guess in some ways it was kind of good it did like push me a little bit harder but at the same time I don't know, it was a bit of like Stockholm syndrome, really. Like working in that place did strip me of a part of me that I later had to kind of fight to get back again, I guess. Like the shop that I'm in now is amazing. Again, it's fairly mixed genders. And I, I mean, I remember somebody asking me when I was in, and so the old, yeah, that shop was pretty much all males. My boss said that if more than one woman worked in a workplace, there would inevitably be drama. So um, I was the only female. And... I don't know, sometimes it would feel a bit like, I don't know, you know, if there's like a teacher at school that's like under 50 and everyone's always like, ooh, Miss So-and-so, uh, just yeah, because yeah. there's just one female that's <laughs> not an old lady. Like yep. it almost kind of felt like that sometimes where like I'd get treated in a certain way, even just by default, just because I was simply the only woman there. And I remember a friend asking me once, like, you know, would you prefer to work with more women? And I was like, I literally don't give a fuck what gender I work with. It doesn't make any difference to me, but it's just working with the super, like an all very macho male 
workplace was pretty intense. Um, and in hindsight, I don't know how the fuck I did it, but I think, yeah, it was a bit like Stockholm Syndrome. I sort of didn't really realise how stripped back I felt for such a long time and, like, how much of a... How, how squashed I felt, I guess, until I finally kind of broke away from that. And now I'm really, really fortunate that I'm in a studio with... Yeah, mixed genders, not that that makes any difference, like not that that particularly matters, but I'm truly allowed to be me and celebrated for being who I am and all of that kind of stuff. And I feel really comfortable being completely myself there. And that's amazing. So yeah, I feel really lucky in the place that I'm in now. But yeah, I mean, everyone's, everyone's experience of that kind of stuff will be quite different. But I think, I mean, yeah, a lot of female tattooers would say the same thing, but I think probably just quite a lot of women in general have had similar experiences, no matter what line of work they're in. Like, yeah. I think like, I know I tattooed a girl that was an engineer or something a while ago, and I remember kind of saying something like, God, that must be quite hard for you. And then I was like, fuck, I'm sorry. I hope that doesn't sound like I'm being patronizing. Like, I don't in any way doubt that you're just as amazing at your job than anybody else that you work with. It was more like that must be hard for you because of the way that I'd imagine that you must just get treated being a female in your industry where you're so vastly outnumbered by men. Yeah, I mean, I never used to consider myself as a feminist when I was younger at all, up until the last few years, really, like having been through some of the stuff that I've been through since being here. I have come out the other side of being quite a passionate feminist because I fucking had to be and I never had to be when I was younger because I was always treated equally and I never was in a situation where I had to when my gender was anything really I mean like obviously you do get a couple of seedy guys here and there occasionally and I say men as a generalization but like you know you, you have that kind of thing sometimes but yeah I mean I've had to be so much more after some of my experiences with being here like I said I think just that weird like feeling sexualized and stuff for no reason at all it's like super weird thing to have to be around I can't yeah there's so many jobs that are like that as well like being a fire person like people still say like a fireman and mm. people still associate so many jobs with gender roles I know that they're trying to eradicate that as much as possible and they're making it so that I think like, that you can barely get a job as a fireman now because I think they're only employing women and blah 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 yeah trying to find yeah, that balance and bridge the gap a bit yeah what does feminism mean to you then what what does it mean to be a feminist and how would that come out I guess pro-women or anyone that identifies as a woman or anything like that, I think it's important to try and, yeah, I think I feel quite strongly about sisterhood and trying to be kind to other women and try and, as much as possible, eradicate any just fucking pointless bitchiness. Like, I hate that kind of thing, and I've always hated that way of being. Like, girls that are mean to other girls in some kind of weird competitive way, like try and get women to look out for other women as much as possible and not have any of that kind of stuff. Feeling sexualized all the time as a woman is hard. At the same time, it's okay to be a woman and be sexual. And that's not necessarily a bad thing that you can be a woman and have your own sexuality and, and not having that be shamed or looked down upon by others and stuff. And at the same time, yeah, like being a woman that has breasts or something, like to not be treated a certain way. I think even... My upbringing, like my parents, like I said, they were quite alternative, but like my mum, even like some of the things that I was brought up with, like my mum was always very much like, you can't show legs and cleavage at the same time because that's this and men will think blah, blah, blah and like all of that kind of stuff. And I feel like whenever, if I have a daughter, I want to teach them that like you can dress however the fuck you want and like you should never have to expect that you're going to get treated in a certain way because of the way that you dress. Like you should just be allowed to be who you are 
and I guess learn to prepare for the fact that there are shit people in the world but like this is how you deal with it and just stay yeah stay strong in who you are and you don't have to squash yourself for anyone and especially like the patriarchy and the way that we're made to feel as women in that regard I guess Mm. Mm. I'm not sure I've never really thought about what feminism I like how to define that and how it means to me. I've given no, some no, no, yes, yeah. yeah, no. It was a question without notice. <clears throat> the idea of sisterhood, oftentimes I hear from women that say that I guess they're their own worst enemy in a way, like walking into a, into a – and then this is almost something you can challenge too, the idea that who's creating the advertising and the marketing campaigns and the idea of what – beauty is and mm. beauty standards probably created by that patriarchy that we're talking about but the idea of walking in with certain shoes and a certain dress standard and, and makeup and hair done a certain way is often in a workplace setting from the people I've heard from judged by other women more mm. than more than anybody is that the idea of sisterhood being like well done you're you're being you and you know um, more just not as sisterhood, I guess. It's more just like women looking out for women. So is it getting rid of that petty stuff as well? It's like that <coughs> removing that and then looking out. The petty stuff being, yeah, like competitiveness when girls are like bitchy about each other or like talking, like saying things behind each other's backs or like any of that kind of stuff or like any kind of body shaming whatsoever, mm. like any of that kind of stuff. Like it's just all disgusting. And I think, yeah, it's just completely toxic. I think like women... In any, just try, yeah, just trying to like tear down other women, like all of that kind of stuff's horrible. I think it's really important to just try and just like love each other. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Sisterhood is more just like girls having each other's backs. Yeah, just looking out for each other. I just think there is just so much of that kind of thing, like growing up. I mean, I'm really lucky that I don't have any friends that are like that, but just some of the like weird like petty girl drama that comes up sometimes and I'm like god I'm so lucky that that doesn't come into my world at all you mentioned your trip after a season of festivals to head to India was it the first time you traveled overseas or had you had a fair few trips in the past um I grew up traveling constantly really I probably went overseas when I was a couple of months old I don't know what my first trip would have been but yeah I grew up traveling all the time I think my parents loved traveling and so they tried to bend their business in a way that meant that we could that they could travel for work really so we used to go all around Europe for my parents buying for their shop and then they'd import things back to the UK so go to Holland and Eastern Europe and stuff quite a lot and we used to go to India Thailand and China all the time as well um, like a few times a year Um, I probably went to India for the first time when I was six and I've been most years since. I had a bit of a gap when I was a teenager when it stopped being fun and cool to go on holiday with your parents, I guess. Um, We just wanted to like be with our friends in summer holidays up to a certain age. And then it wasn't until I left the UK when I was 21 that I went to India for a few months for the first time since I was about 15 maybe. And I've been most years again since then. I just love it. It's my second, I say second home, but this is kind of my home and England's kind of my home. So it's probably my third home. What is it about India that you've just, that's drawn you, that's captured you? It's just such a weird place. It's so disgusting and amazing. <laughs> and 
bizarre and beautiful and everything about it is just such an intense juxtaposition like there will literally be a dead cow with someone like pissing beside it against this incredible building with like the most beautiful paintings all up the side and and the smell of the food and then like again just like the constant smell of like piss and death and incense and it's just everything is such a juxtaposition and the colors and the sequins and the saris and the craftsmanship that goes into so many different aspects of every single part of life in India and the animals like it's so exotic you know you just see these peacocks wandering around up in Rajasthan and stuff like that like it's just, and it's it's real life in its rawest, realest form, in my opinion. I think in the West, I don't know, sometimes after going to India, I feel like I come back to Western life and it feels like being in some kind of Disneyland or Stepford Wives or something like that, where it's all this super polished, everything is kind of perfect and like, oh no, we don't talk about death and we don't acknowledge that people die and everything dirty or gross has to happen like quickly shut behind closed doors and we don't want anything bad to happen um whereas India just like literally everything happens in a really intense way right in front of your face all of the good all of the bad the full spectrum of everything right there for you to see at any given time and I love that it's just real uh, yeah it's real life and it's rawest purest form and I think I just find it really really refreshing and horrify it. it just yeah it tests every part of you constantly and I love that so do you find that it revitalizes you to see what life's really about when you do come back home I remember the first time I went when I was six it was it was a pretty it was super um really really life-changing and I really hope that if I ever have children I'm in a position where I'm able to take them traveling and specifically to third world countries from a young age like I had the opportunity to do because it's completely changed me as a person like I feel really lucky to be exposed to so much of the world from such a young age like I've I've had this conversation recently with people actually about religion and at what point did because a majority of public schools in the UK are Church of England um I went to a Christian school but I never I'm not religious and I never really had that moment where I stopped being religious or I even necessarily questioned it. And I, and, and I like I trying to think back to my earliest idea of religion. And I guess it's just because I was constantly exposed to so many religions all over the world all the time. It was just kind of like, well, this is what these people believe and this is what these people do. And this is where these people go to worship. It was never, it wasn't like I was just exposed to Christianity or something. And therefore that way seemed like the right way. Like yeah. it just, I think I was exposed to so many different aspects of it. But yeah, the first time I went when I was six, I remember getting out, like we'd got a taxi from the airport and we were in Goa. And it was pretty, I mean, India was pretty different 20 years ago as well. Like Anjuna Market now is like a huge touristy place. Um, whereas back then it was just a couple of people selling a few bits and pieces on a rug on the beach kind of thing. But yeah, I remember getting out the taxi and there was this dog walking towards us and it literally had like half of its head ripped open and you could just see inside its head and it was just staggering up the road like covered in blood and we had dogs and I grew up next door to a farm and stuff so we always had loads of animals around us and I remember just seeing this thing and being like <gasps> and my mum just holding my hand being like just don't look sass don't look yeah. <laughs> and that just like sticking in my mind forever it's just being this like horrific thing but it's just so beautiful and the people are so lovely and I think spirituality is so heavily built into their religion as well it's not kind of 
yeah I just I love it it's a beautiful amazing place and there's something for everyone and there's all the different yeah there's like desert and jungle and rainforest and mountains and snow and psytrance and yoga and cities and beaches and there's everything there's such a variety of stuff in India as well I just love it so growing up and, and being six and seeing the half-headed dog, <laughs> so many people, as we talk about this developed Western society, tend to say kids can't handle this sort of thing and avoid any, mm. anything challenging for a child. Mm. Even being a teacher, the recommendation was to not talk about yeah. for example, right now the coronavirus, or Everything, when I was at a Catholic yeah. school, not talk about. Uh, gay marriage or, you know, shut that down and obviously yeah. the religious aspect. But there's so many topics that kids want to talk about and know lots about yeah. and want to be open to and want to be able to see and, and, you know, understand and then that would help them actually process mm. it. Yet in the West we uh, say no, no, we're not talking about death. We're not yeah. talking about sexuality or anything. And there's this real distance and and almost shame that mm. is inbuilt from when you're a child about things that you can't say and do yeah. and you weren't exposed to that do you, or as much you were able to actually be exposed to real ideas yeah as well as the creative side do you think that all mixed to i mean it obviously shaped your identity but what positives and, and when if you decide to have children and raise them would you raise them in that way is that something yeah, that you definitely yeah. definitely um well, even that first trip to India changed me a lot. I've been vegetarian ever since that trip. I'd kind of had the idea in my head since shortly before. Like I said before, I grew up next door to a farm. And so I was constantly surrounded by animals. We always had dogs and cats and stuff. But there was also chickens and ducks and pigs and a tortoise and everything. <laughs> sheep. It was a sheep farm. Um, and there was no killing on site, but they would all get sold off. But even literally until like a couple of years ago, I thought it was just a wool farm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, fuck, it never occurred to me before. <laughs> but um, anyway, yeah, I'd grown up around loads of animals all the time. And so even just, yeah, just before India, I remember if there was meat on my plate for dinner, I would sort of eat everything but that because I just started to gain aware awareness and start joining the dots really that eating chicken was eating a chicken and having lamb was a lamb and we had all of those animals around us all the time so it started to really sicken me I guess and I remember being in India and being in Goa on the beach and all of my family were having bacon and eggs and stuff for breakfast and there were some baby pigs playing on the beach next to us and I remember just being like hang on that's what this is yeah and they were like well yeah we're not gonna lie to you and I was just like, I don't, I don't want to do it anymore. And they were, my parents were like, that's okay. Like, that's a thing. People are vegetarian. Like, you know, you don't have to eat meat. We support you if that's how you feel. And I was just like, yeah, I can't do it. And it was kind of like that Simpsons where Lisa goes vegetarian, where like, I think she tries to eat lamb or something. And she just has this little sheep being mm. like, Lisa, yeah. don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> I was always like that. Like, I'd try and eat meat. And all I could think about was the fact that it was an animal. And it would just like, I'd be kind of gagging while trying to, and I was like, why am I doing this? Yeah, and I've pretty much been vegetarian ever since. And that trip to India, I think, did really... Just being around all the animals and seeing... Yeah, that was a big turning point for me, really, I guess. And you yeah. talked about not growing up spiritual, not growing up religious, or because you had so much exposure to different things. What's your take on spirituality today? 
I don't know. I've sort of dipped in and out of my thoughts and feelings on spirituality in general and whether I am spiritual and all of that kind of stuff. I don't really know quite what being spiritual means and I don't know what I feel like it means for me. I think when I was a teenager, yeah, I was pretty hippie and I was pretty into festivals and partying and going to raves and all of that kind of thing and I was mixing with some other hippies who were kind of taking the spiritual thing a little bit further than what I was and I went down that path for a little bit and I was kind of yeah I dipped my toes into the world of Reiki and all of that kind of stuff and I guess I just felt like it wasn't really for me at the time like I think I went on a bit of a spiritual rampage and kind of bounced back the other way and then after that I was a bit like I don't want anything to do with anything spiritual for a while And I guess I've kind of leveled out now where I've got like some aspects of it that feel true and right for me and some aspects that I definitely don't believe in and I think are kind of nonsense and I don't know. I I guess I feel like with anything like that though, it's all just people's beliefs. Like no one knows anything to be real or true. It's all just what we believe. And I guess, yeah, beliefs are constantly changing and I feel like I'm always questioning my own beliefs and I like if people challenge me and it gives me an opportunity to question my own beliefs and my own thoughts and see if they're still right for me and if they're not then that's okay and I can leave those and move forward and or not like you know it's nice having someone change your mind and then you can try and think about something from their perspective but I don't know being spiritual I suppose I mean again this is like a whole other story but I have a loved one who has battled quite severely with um, addiction for most of my life predominantly heroin but pretty much all drugs really in a like pretty extreme way and they've spoken to me quite a bit about the is it the 12 step program 12 think, yes yeah yeah I always forget step. what number yep. it is I think it's 12 yeah and I know that a part of that they say is to have a relationship with I think I don't, I'm probably misquoting it but it's something like to have a relationship with a being greater than your own meaning whether that's God or like uh, some people kind of refer to a sense of God as being the universe, like praying to the universe Mm -hmm. and that kind of stuff. Um, And that's part of the 12-step program is to, yeah, maintain a relationship with kind of a being greater than yourself. Or maybe that's my understanding of it anyway, from what they've spoken to me about. And I do think that that's quite important for humans. And I, I, I think that's probably why so many people are religious is that need to have a relationship with a being greater than yourself to feel connected to the planet and to the world and whether you see that as energy or frequency or god or you know any other name for god or you know that kind of thing i think i do think that there's something fairly inherently in us to want to feel connected to a greater thing and i i for my own sanity i suppose like i do find it centering to have moments of meditation or whatever where I do try and for lack of a better expression almost like tune into that yeah like just doing yoga and stuff and you do have those moments where you're breathing and the brief moments in between taking breaths where you're not even breathing and you are just existing and you do feel like a tiny speck on the planet but in a really beautiful connected way I guess for me that's that's my spirituality it's the kind of oneness of everything Mm. and that yeah I guess that's that's how I feel spiritual but I don't know I don't really know what I don't know I guess spiritual is really objective isn't it subjective objective subjective subjective and objective (laughs) (laughs) um it's objective when people demand that others 
believe what they believe and it's the right way and the only right way. And oftentimes that is defeating the purpose of religion in many ways and what should and what spirituality should be. It's this idea of belief and ever-changing belief. And But I think that idea of believing in something greater than yourself, I think that was from a more the original creator had a, uh, a religious sort of upbringing and, and I guess, uh, worldview. But when I think of that, I think of that we aren't special, that we aren't exceptional, yeah. that we are insignificant in some ways. Yeah, totally. Not, we are special. Like, you know, our identity matters and the people we love matter and all that. And but we matter as a collective. But we matter as a collective yeah. too. But also in terms of the planet, we're not above this world, this planet, this universe. We're on a spinning tiny little marble in what potentially could be infinite space. And that should freak us out. And I think it freaks so many people out that they ignore that and mm. try to create this control, this sense of control. But spirituality should be that those moments in between breaths or when you're just completely at one is when you forget yourself. That's the idea in, yeah. in many ways of yeah. um, those Eastern traditions is when you forget or you, you realise that there is no self, that there is just consciousness and somehow you're tapping into that and... That is you, and you are it, and you you hear, th- yeah. In the, in the moments that I felt it strongly, and I'm no way an expert. I'm only dabbling and starting, you know. But those moments where the wind is part of you, and and you don't actually know where you begin, and the winds the wind ends, and and just things like that happen, and that is so special and amazing. And I guess if people equate that to a god speaking to them or being, you know, going through them. I sort of still challenge – it's still a challenge for me to accept that. But if that is making them realise that they aren't this exceptional being but they are part of a world that needs to look after everything on it and and be looked after by the world too, then I can 100% see how necessary it is and how when addiction in many ways I guess might be a part of control and letting go of control but also – taking back control in this constant battle that is beyond just a chemical but addiction Mm. can be for things that aren't uh, drug-related, gambling, alcohol, you know, sex, violence, whatever it might be. It's that letting go of that control and I think that idea of having a greater being or not even a being, just a a sense of something bigger than you can help you realise that maybe that that level of control, whether it's no control or absolute control that's necessary, isn't as big and almighty a task as you might think because it's just you in this. Yeah, as totally. A- I'm pretty sure it is worded like that. It is more something, a, an existence greater than your own or something. I don't think it's necessarily labelled or personified as a being as such. But, yeah, totally. I think my understanding and experience of the addiction as well is more... It's filling some kind of void... I think a lot of the time, yeah, I, well, yeah, I started, I started seeing a hypnotherapist a while ago because I wanted to try and quit smoking a couple of years back. And um, it was interesting because I went there initially with the hopes that I would go and he would be able to hypnotize me and I'd quit smoking. And when I went there and I explained that I was smoking, but it was only sort of on occasions, I'd mostly fairly quit. But like, yeah, I was just taking it up here and there when I was feeling stressed and then the more we talked, the more I found out that actually that was kind of a 
cause and effect thing and that was me in those moments of self-destruction or something like that and then it was like well learning about like why you are and then finding out that everything is cause and effect and rather than just like stopping doing the thing like rather mm. than just not smoking there's something way deeper is like why you feel the need to do that thing in the first place and the void that someone's trying to fill it's almost like a relationship or a connection that a lot of the time people have with that thing that I guess maybe they don't feel with something and I think that's why having a connection to something yeah bigger than yourself can help to eradicate that from what I've seen and heard a lot of um, Johan I think he's Johan something he's Swiss English and he talks about addiction and the fact that addiction shouldn't be considered like a problem of addiction but as you say the cause that's exactly Mm. what he talks about and the idea that when rats have lots to do in a lab Yeah. yeah that you know they will go for the I don't know, heroin water or whatever it is, the the, the cocaine or... Well, the, when they're the, alone, they'll go for the heroin water. And oh, so, like yeah, that, yeah, yeah. So w- there's a cage that will have that, the dripper that feeds them this chemical and they will be a, instantly addicted and die and overdose very quickly if there's nothing stimulating and no community and it's just this horrible hell. But when it's rat paradise, they n- always go for the water and want to live life without that. So mm-hmm. the fact that we see these drugs or any addiction that can occur as that thing is evil we need to eradicate that thing which may be the case for some things but mostly it's the idea of no what what is society what is the system what is the the circumstance that someone finds themselves in that makes them feel like that void that you mentioned earlier needs to be filled by this this mm-hmm. thing that maybe makes them forget what are we doing as a society what is this how can we fix our society and the way we interact with different people about all kinds of things that will stop addiction and I guess negative behaviours from occurring and I think the same could be said about gangs in certain parts of the world or I don't know uh, domestic violence and things like that I don't think anyone sets out to live their life being addicted or being worried about their life in a gang or, or wanting to commit violence to people and abuse I don't think anyone does that willingly. So what is it that society is allowing? And that's that's a a deep philosophical question, I guess. But what is society doing that leads to these things occurring so frequently and regularly in what should be this perfect society? (laughs) People need to feel a connection to something or someone. And if they don't, I think often, yeah, when people are feeling disconnected it can be easy to want to escape or feel like you have a connection with something else. Yeah, I mean, I know from my own experience, I guess, yeah, I think it's it's quite difficult to learn to sit with your discomfort sometimes, especially socially in social situations. But yeah, I guess like speaking from my own experience with like mental health and stuff, um, yeah, like I basically had a bit of a mental breakdown a couple of years ago and for a long time I really really struggled to socialize at all afterwards because of social anxiety and stuff and it was through the hypno guy that I was seeing I a big part of learning to overcome that was learning to sit with my discomfort where you might find yourself in a social situation where you're like not talking to anyone and you're feeling quite awkward and everyone's talking amongst themselves and you're not and it was easy to find myself getting into a habit of just being like, oh, well, I'll just get drunk then and then I'll kind of like loosen the nerves and be able to just speak and not feel awkward kind of thing. 
but obviously that's that's not a particularly good solution because then you get drunk and then you mm. say things that you feel embarrassed by blah 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 like it's not a good solution long term but it's just that kind of feeling like you have some kind of connection or something and learning yeah learning to sit with your discomfort was a big part of something that I think I had to teach myself to do because like not it wasn't like necessarily drinking but just doing anything like when you're going through stuff it's so easy to just constantly distract yourself with things to go out and go and see someone else that's going to occupy your mind or something that's going to distract you or you're feeling brokenhearted so you kind of like go and meet someone else and then that's easier than dealing with your heartbreak or something you know what I mean like there's just so many things that you can constantly do to fill fill the void with rather than just allowing yourself to just feel hurt and vulnerable and sad with something that's going on like I know for myself that's something that I struggled with for a long time was just actually allowing myself to sit with my own discomfort sometimes and not just constantly filling that void and I'm lucky that I've never particularly really struggled with addiction or anything like other than smoking cigarettes. I think, yeah, I think a lot of people really struggle to sit with their discomfort, basically. And I think a lot of people, when left alone with their own thoughts, can find that too confronting. So they do try and turn to something or anything, really, to get themselves out of their own head, whether that is substance abuse or I guess even with gangs and stuff. Like, I guess it's all... I literally don't know anything about gangs. <laughs> but even still, like, they again, it's like a bit of a snowball thing where, like, maybe they've been through some, like, horrific shit, so then they're finding that really hard, and then some level of camaraderie that they get through the other gang members means that they feel safer and less alone. If I think everyone just wants to feel connection, really, and mm. I think, I guess that's how it would happen. I don't really, I don't know, yeah. Maybe not even being comfortable, but as you said, sit, being able to sit with discomfort, I love that. Uh, the way you put that, being able to sit with your discomfort is one of the hardest things that we can do as as humans and we're often looking for anything to distract us from that discomfort, that moment. And I, and going back to our current situation mm. at right now, people are so anxious about the uncertainty about what's going to happen and how life's going to change and it is that ability to sit with that discomfort for a while and just say... Yeah. I'm, well, how did I do it? I was extremely, uh, oh, I'm fortunate to be well-practiced in social distancing and, and isolation because I've had two summers where I've had a foot operation. The first one was an Achilles and the second one was a, a little bone in the foot. So I've had two summers that I've had to sit upstairs in my house because once I get up, I don't want to go down. So I've had like five weeks, two summers in a row where I'm not leaving the house. And not able to do much. So that made me have to focus on meditation and focus on being more creative and having an outlet and not just eating or mm. not just playing video games or, or wishing I was doing something else but actually realising, hey, I've got some time to really understand this discomfort, this mm. understand what is breaking me right now and then actually coming out the other side and saying it's amazing to yeah. be able to realise who you are, to find yourself. And that's a lot of people are missing that and I was mm. missing that and I find myself, you know, sometimes falling back into old habits. But I think once you realise that you are pretty powerful and that you are pretty special, even though we talked about not being super special, but you are to yourself, you are you and what's made you you is your experiences and your upbringing and everything, all the conditioning and things that have happened in the past, you have to sometimes delve right into that to find out who you are and then build from that, mm. 
mm. break yourself down and then build up again. So right now I'm feeling like why aren't people doing, you know, just able to sit with their discomfort? But it took a long time I, once I reflect for me to be able to do that yeah. and circumstances that weren't. It wasn't like I said I'm going to do this, I'm awesome, I'm able to actually fix everything. It was I was forced into that that I couldn't go for my run or, or play sport yeah. or whatever to I think it almost takes for you to like lose your mind a little bit mm. in those moments of isolation and stuff or those moments of sitting with your discomfort you almost need to like lose your mind a little bit to be like okay what the fuck am I gonna do to stop this and how am I gonna get better and yeah the current state of affairs is pretty interesting with that because I feel like going back onto what we were saying about addiction and the feeling like you need to feel some kind of connection and having a relationship whether that's with your work or with other people or whatever but this is stripping a lot of people from a lot of their connections and hopefully the yeah hopefully the silver lining is that people are finding new and hopefully deeper connections with themselves and with the smaller pleasures and more simpler things in life like yeah cooking and creativity and having the time to do things that they don't normally have in a way that means that they're able to kind of fill their own void a little bit mm. rather than needing to constantly have stuff to occupy yeah. themselves and their minds with hope like hopefully this is some good that could come out of it absolutely before we sort of wrap up the conversation is there anything that you've been thinking about that you've had on your mind recently in terms of sort of trying to make the world a better place or something, like one of the things that I feel like before when I was saying about being vegetarian from quite a young age, one thing I try and do as much as possible is just... I'm super aware of the fact that everyone has their own thoughts and feelings and experiences that have led for them to be the way that they are. And I think it's really important not to make other people wrong for the way that they are. And that's something that I've always tried really hard to have that stance, I guess, with my vegetarian or veganism or whatever, because often the two words go quite hand in hand with being preachy and vegan. And I've always tried really hard to not be that way. Because I think I've met so many people that have been like, oh, I'd love to go vegan or something, but, but I'd really miss cheese. And it's like, but you can just do that then and like just still eat cheese. Like I think so many people feel like if they can't do everything, then they'll just do nothing. And it's not just in the case of being vegetarian or whatever. Uh, it's more just in the whole, the grand scheme of things. So many people feel like if they can't commit to, and well, veganism is just like a really good example of this. So many people feel like if they can't commit to being this super staunch thing, then they're not going to try and like make any change at all. And I just always think that's really sad. I'm always surprised at how how so many people seem so like unaware of the fact that they can make their own rules. You don't mm. need to abide to this particular thing. Like I don't consider myself vegan because I egg sometimes and I wear fur coats and like I would rather wear real leather than fake leather because that's better for the environment and like... I don't know if that's real. That's a constantly changing thing. Like sometimes I'll go through phases where I definitely wouldn't touch eggs and then I'll go through phases where like I'm okay with eating eggs if I know where the eggs have come from, nice chickens and stuff like that. I think people's thoughts and feelings are just constantly evolving and I think it's really important to remember to just kind of do what is true for you, even if it's just at that time. Like you don't, I think, yeah, so many people are like, oh, I tried to go vegetarian, but I miss bacon. And it's like, just be vegetarian, eat bacon then. Like, mm. that's okay. You can be that. Like, you shouldn't have anyone telling you that you can't do that. But I think, unfortunately, people do. Like, people are like, like, unfortunately, I think vegans do yeah. sometimes do that kind of thing. But I just, yeah, I think it's really important for people to 
realize that they can just it yeah whatever little bit you're trying to do whatever you feel like you're doing to make a difference like don't let don't let feeling like you're not doing enough stop you from doing something like that's that's just such an absurd way to think. Yeah, that's just something I feel quite strongly about and I'm probably wording it really No, badly. no, the, the idea, I've always called it like buying the full package and, and I was first, it made me think of it when you said that as a, a Tadua that you had other art forms that you liked just as much. Mm. You weren't just this person that did tattoos and your life was tattoos. And, yeah. I mean, it's a big part of your life and it might take up for a year, it might take up every day of your life, but other times that you might have a bit of a break and, and not do any work on it or not think about it much. And that's okay, that idea of not having to buy into this full package because that often disappoints people. It's if I break my streak of exercising then I stop exercising for a month because I didn't do it for the 60th day in a row and it's like mm. the, like the eight-week challenge type things they're great motivators but at the same time is it sustainable you need yeah. to be able to sustain things forever mm. and make it a lifestyle choice and part of you and and a happy thing not this I can't wait for this thing to be over so that's something I need to work on because I'm don't think I'll ever be able to be a full vegetarian but maybe I can eat meat once a week instead of being aware of it though isn't it it's just trying to be aware of your like footprint I guess almost whatever and whatever way that is and I'm also really aware of the fact that you've got to pick your battles yeah I remember when I was working at festivals when I was younger and some of the hippies that I used to work with were like really against quinoa because apparently like the exportation was meaning that Bolivians or something were like Mm. all getting malnourished (laughs) because blah 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 and it was just like fuck something's going to fuck something up somewhere down the line like you've got to really pick your battles with it but I think just doing doing the best of your ability like within the realms of however you feel comfortable and whatever feels right for you to try and do that and like I said like if you want to be vegetarian but you eat a bacon sandwich fuck it that's okay like we don't beat yourself up about it and that doesn't mean that you then need to go back to being like a rampant carnivore you can still trying to just do what little feels manageable for you or obtainable for your lifestyle and your beliefs and stuff like that you like you don't have to beat yourself up and you don't have to conform to what other people say you need to try and conform to um I think that's because it's uh, especially with the meat thing like that's such a gray area some people's religions come into play and like their background and stuff like that like I'm obviously in a fairly privileged position where I can go and get like luxury tofu something or other and like not everyone has that opportunity so I think that's going to be kind of interesting as well about the coronavirus and stuff. It's weird just seeing like stuff not on the shelves because that's, I've always said that about the meat industry. Like they should just make it way more of a commodity where it is just like small independent farmers rather than like the gross mass production yep. of it. Yeah. Just not having it there all the time being wasted. Very interesting how you mentioned the the quinoa. Oh, because I remember saying when one of my good mates became a vegetarian for a while, I would say, but what about poverty in Africa? What about this? You know, there's other issues. You know, you're telling me to become a vegetarian, but but then it is about that choosing your battles, what feels right to you, what can you do in your scheme. I have to get to work. You know, I could ride my bike and get public transport and then ride a bike or I could drive. I talk often about the fossil fuel industry and how we've got to transition to clean electricity and then make everything electrified because... We're destroying our planet. Yet I still drive my car or I put an air conditioner on that comes from the electricity grid that comes from coal. Do I stop using an air conditioner? I do a lot of the time. But what about if it's freezing? What if it's really hot? Do I stop driving my car if it will add an extra, you know, couple an hour and a bit travel a day? Or, you know, it's a 
those choices make people often say, I can't do anything. It's too hard. Mm. I'm not going to think about it. I feel too guilty. Stuff it. Yeah. Whereas it's really important to just make good decisions, try to move towards having a smaller footprint, a more sustainable and manageable life. And you actually feel better for doing that. Yeah, I think it's just, yeah, just trying to do your best with it, really. I think being aware of it's a really big part of it, too. Like, I guess I'm relating this to the meat thing just because that's something that I know well. But um, like with, like, I guess for me, as soon as I became aware of it, it felt wrong. So I didn't want to do it anymore. And I think like be, trying to just be aware of your in, your your consumption of things and not not with meat, like even same with like plastic and stuff like that. It's just once you learn about a subject I guess there is ways that you can like you can just yeah eat less meat or like try and buy it more ethically and there's you know only use your keep cup try and say no to having a straw like there's so many kind of small like really small baby steps that you can do to adjust your life you know so you don't even have to live particularly differently but you can still even just take those like really tiny little steps like I said just stop using a straw stop getting a takeaway coffee cup stop buying plastic bottled water just go and get anything that you can fill up yourself there's so many little things that you can do even if you just get a bike take the bike to work once a month you know that's better than nothing and Mm. even if you just start with those super tiny little steps that's such a better way of doing it rather than feeling like fuck I should never drive a car ever again like what am I gonna do you know like it's super it's course it's super overwhelming and I do feel that way sometimes like sometimes you do feel like such a tiny little speck but I feel like as an individual your vote in the world is your actions that you take and there are little ways that you can try and just go about shit in a nicer way really (laughs) it's not your vote isn't just every three years for that politician your vote is every day yeah exactly I guess that's what I mean and yeah, it's not it's not an extreme thing. You don't have to be black and white. You don't have to feel shit if you're not doing everything all the time, even if it is just a case of just tiny little baby steps in different areas of your life to try and just do it in a slightly more eco-friendly way yeah. or whatever, just like a way that's not fucking up the planet as much as, as you could be if you weren't conscious of it. I suppose yeah. it's simply that. It's just trying to have an awareness. It goes back to that awareness almost of... Watching, you know, three hours of reality TV per day, what could you be doing with that time or what effect Mm. is that having on your sense of reality? You know, just seeing people gossip or constant drama and that isn't life perhaps and and maybe you'll find more clarity in life. It's okay to watch shows and and unwind and do whatever but just like it's okay to occasionally you're shopping and you've forgotten the bags and you might have to get a plastic bag that one time but if you're aware of what you're doing and what what needs to be done and, and... your footprint, how big it is, not as in we're all being horrible, but just as an individual, we can really make massive changes one step at a time, as you were saying. I just want to, it's not just the environment or just meat or anything. Mm. It's it's every action you take, yeah, being totally. nice, having a smile down the street. Yeah, what yeah. difference can you make in a day by not getting road rage and beeping yeah, someone totally. or just letting someone into your lane or all these things that we can do. And being aware of that and being aware of your moods that sometimes, you know what, I'm walking into this room really frustrated, I'm hungry, I didn't sleep last night, someone's annoyed me. Just taking that step back and going, okay, I need to take a few breaths or I need to realise that I need to go in with a smile or Mm. say hello or whatever it might be. I haven't talked to this person that I love and I say I love but I haven't really talked to them properly for two days or and not feeling guilty about not doing those things either but just when when you realise it, try to make a change and try to realise things more often. And that's all we can ask. Yeah. Yeah. So, Sass, have you 
through this conversation recently, if you had a moment of clarity, the name of this podcast is Moments of Clarity and I ensure that I ask every guest this question, what has been a moment of clarity for you? I guess, actually, to be honest, throughout all of this coronavirus stuff, it has given me, and I think I probably speak on behalf of quite a few other people, it definitely has actually given me a moment of clarity or like so far maybe about a week of clarity, (laughs) a week of moments. Um, It is so nice actually to just take a bit of a step back and work at a way or tick over at a way slower pace to what we're all used to doing, especially living in cities, having the time to reconnect with hobbies and creative outlets and loved ones and think about what's real and what's important and yeah make sure that we're and and we're all kind of being forced to take each day as it comes and there is something quite beautiful about that I think it is really reminding a lot of us what's important in the world and yeah hopefully out of that we can all just try and do what we need to do to make this a long-term thing where we don't all just kind of go straight back to work and stop doing stop speaking to our loved ones and stop the hobbies that we've taken up during this period of time and hopefully we can actually start feeling more connected to each other and the planet again instead of being so absorbed in the things going on around us all the time now that the things are being taken away hopefully Mm. we can feel more connected thanks for having this conversation today i know we're at three three meters apart (laughs) but um hopefully this can all stop soon (laughs) but we can all have a moment of clarity on the way so no really appreciate your time sass thank you for having me it's been nice to be here no worries thank you if you enjoyed the conversation today Please subscribe, share with your friends and family and leave a review. If you'd like to contact me, provide feedback or have access to someone you believe could be a great guest on the podcast, please send an email to momentsofclaritypodcast at gmail.com. My name is Barney and thank you for joining me on Moments of Clarity.